Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to Sibylline Podcast Series. I'm Valeria Scudo, Middle East and North Africa Analyst, and I will be joined by our Middle East and North Africa Associate Analyst, Brandon Phillips and Anastasia Chisholm, to discuss the implications of the upcoming religious holidays in April across the region. Thank you very much for joining in today. It's been a busy past month. Russia's war in Ukraine has driven up the prices of staple foods and energy across the Middle East and North Africa. This, in addition to the long-standing and sustained effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. So this reality has increasingly threatened to deeply affect the household and government budgets in several countries, therefore raising the possibility of a kind of mass popular unrest that we haven't seen since the Arab Spring protests a decade ago, which stemmed in part to soaring food prices. This month, and previous months, we've seen already a simmering discontent in Egypt, notably in Lebanon and Tunisia, in part due to the recent developments I just mentioned, but also due to more long-standing and consolidated uh, anti-government sentiments. And most recently, we've seen how intercommunal tensions in Israel and the Palestinian territories have resulted in a spate of attacks, uh, a level of violence that hadn't been seen since 2015-2016. So Rhiannon, what trends are you expecting to see in the coming month? Yeah, thanks Valeria. So as you mentioned, there's been a lot of moving and intertwining parts, both globally and regionally, as we enter into several weeks of religious festivities, namely the beginning of the holy month of Ramadan, uh, Muslim festivity starting from the 2nd of April until the 1st of May. And then we also have the, the Jewish Passover, which is expected to last from the 15th of April until the 22nd. Notoriously, these religious landmarks are, of course, a celebration for most of the region, but we must acknowledge that they've also in the past been triggers and catalysts for serious security concerns and instances of domestic destabilisation. We've previously seen militant groups and conflicts utilise the holiday as an opportunity to kind of extend strategic aims. And so what we may see in the coming weeks is an unprecedented attempt by these groups and, and governments potentially to exploit the deepening domestic and political insecurity amidst the distraction of a, of a global crisis, this being the Russia and Ukraine conflict and something, you know, that we certainly haven't seen in our lifetime. Namely, it might be interesting to start with what might happen between Yemen, Saudi Arabia and the UAE in the next couple of weeks after what has been a truly escalatory couple of days, weeks and months really since the end of January. In recent days, we, we've seen the successful missile strike on an Aramco facility in Jeddah on the 25th of March. And these developments really highlight both the renewed focus from the Houthi group on targeting critical infrastructure, but then also potentially showing their increased short range and accurate aerial capabilities. And in response, this has meant that kind of Saudi-led coalitions have again reacted with further strikes against the group in Yemen. And we've seen a real return to kind of tit-for-tat hostilities, which makes many sectors in the UAE and, and the kingdom um, at risk and, and vulnerable to further kind of aerial strikes. Ultimately, what we've seen over the past few days, again, is the Houthis and the coalition actually agree to a ceasefire, this is to a three-day ceasefire in, in anticipation of Ramadan. This is worth noting that this is in rhetoric. There's been kind of no diplomatic writing or warming between, uh, between the two sides, the warring parties. 
considering the Houthis actually rejected an invitation to attend peace talks in Riyadh, which started today. And then it's also worth noting what impact relaxed COVID security measures across the region in anticipation for the Holy Month will mean in terms of security matters, state preparations of, uh, we've already seen that governments have altered kind of working and operational hours. What this means is that people will remain indoors for most of the day, but then we can expect this return to huge crowds that we haven't actually seen, you know, for, for two years, more, more than two years since the pandemic began. And if our celebrations will be something that local security authorities will, will be looking at. Whereas we've seen kind of strict social distancing and mixing regulations before, we've already seen Egypt and, and Jordan actually preempt the relaxation of most measures. And then, you know, beyond pandemic related differences in terms of trends going forward for the Holy Ramadan and the Jewish Passover, this is taking place amidst, as you mentioned before, a brink of what can be described as a, an incoming, if not already present food crisis in the aftermath of both the COVID-19 pandemic, but then also the Ukraine crisis. Authorities are concerned that governments will be you know, unable to meet these public demands and individuals will be unable to afford iftar or sahur uh, celebrations. Rising food prices and shortages, you know, perceived to be government mismanagement and political incompetency, as we've seen before, are definitely triggers of you know, large scale civil unrest, particularly in countries such as Lebanon, Egypt and Tunisia, where public dissent is already massively accelerating. If we look at Lebanon, for example, the currency is already devalued by 90% and this is before the Ukraine crisis. We're now seeing that the price of imported meat has increased approximately fivefold and meat is such a huge part of Ramadan celebrations that this is definitely going to be kind of a trigger for rising socioeconomic grievances. People are going to have to basically decide whether to, to eat meat or to kind of spend their monthly wage, which is definitely an issue. Another trend, I think, is, as you mentioned, I think it, we, we can't ignore the, the run up to um, religious festivities and it's a bad drop of what is a seriously escalatory period with, between Israel and Palestinian territories. The Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett has come out and said that it's you know, one of the deadliest weeks that we've seen in absolute years. In the aftermath, we've seen kind of this, the Israeli police promise for an increased security presence. And whilst this isn't a new trend and there's often kind of a spike in violence around these events, Intercommunal um, tensions are likely to be compounded in, in the coming weeks with ongoing issues as the expansion of Israeli settlement constructions, which haven't stopped. We've already seen multiple attacks yesterday by Israeli settlers on Palestinian residents. In the Nablus in the, in the West Bank, settlers have cut down 170 plus olive trees and, and damaged property, which is likely to then kind of spark tit for tat hostilities again. Equally, we've seen in Egypt just in a spike in anti government settlements. We've seen kind of simmering over the last couple of weeks as well. And then finally, just for the final trends, again, on the same topic as Israel and Palestine, Palestinian territories, it's worth noting that, you know, we're seeing an emergence of Islamic state for, throughout the region. And, you know, this is a trend likely to last throughout Ramadan, but then also beyond. Notably, we saw that individuals affiliated with the group claim responsibility for two deadly attacks in Israel over the past week, namely the shooting on the 27th of March in Hadira, and then also the stabbing at a petrol station and shopping centre in the southern city of Beersheba on the 22nd of March. So in terms of significance and what this trend might mean, I think it's important to place enough emphasis on the emergence of Islamic State without honing in on their presence as a distraction from wider intercommunal violence that's occurring between the territories. It's worth noting that their claims do suggest that the group is trying to kind of reassert influence and, and gain public attention following the appointment of their new leader, Jumar Awad al-Badri, who is notably the older brother of uh, Baghdadi, the, the former leader. And then it's notable that you know, Israel has always been kind of an unlikely 
target considering their extensive security capabilities. So what we have to look at is whether these successes will embolden IS sympathizers to kind of carry out further attacks across the country, exploiting the current kind of ethno-religious tensions. Thank you very much for this, uh, Rihanna. And yeah, definitely there's uh, a lot of trends and developments to, to look at in the coming month. And as you were mentioning, particularly for Israel and Palestinian territories, there will be a lot of eyes on the actions of the Israeli government in the coming days and weeks, uh, particularly with regards to this suspected IS link, which rather than being important per se, additional competition between groups across the West Bank and Gaza. And we all remember how last year's Ramadan then was one of the main triggers for the violence that we've seen in May. Anastasia, following up from these trends, what countries are you particularly concerned about and what should businesses be looking at? Well, there certainly is a lot going on across the region that merits close attention. So as mentioned, Israel and the Palestinian territories will remain at the forefront of our concerns. Uh, so three successive attacks on Israeli cities in the past week have driven the police to raise the overall threat level to the highest since the outbreak of armed hostilities between Israel and Gaza, as you just mentioned, in May 2021. So we can continue to expect spikes in violence as Ramadan begins, with ethno-religious tensions further heightened by Israeli security forces strengthening their presence across border and flashpoint areas, for example, East Jerusalem. In addition, the military has intensified their campaign of arrests in Arab neighborhoods over the past 72 hours, uh, namely in the West Bank, including Ramallah, Nablus and Marda. Also, we'll be looking out for potential trigger events, including at contentious religious sites such as the Al-Aqsa Mosque, um, including the storming of the mosque yesterday on the 30th of March by Israeli settlers. Elsewhere, we'll also be keeping a close eye on developments in Yemen. The Houthis have now cozied slightly to the idea of a ceasefire, but looking further into it, this is likely to be short-lived, as the ceasefire appears to be unilateral and in silos, with the US and UN special envoys working desperately to address difficult demands from the Houthi side uh, in terms of prisoner releases. We'll also be looking towards Egypt during this period, particularly due to the presence of uh, minority religious communities, including Coptic Christians, and the ongoing low-level North Sinai Islamic State insurgency. So religious sites, um, particularly in the North Sinai, remain vulnerable to attack by IS militants, despite a strengthened state security posture in recent years. Meanwhile, economic strains, in part attributable to the fallout effects of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, will heighten protest risks in the coming weeks as Egyptian residents face a sustained decline in living standards and food price increases. More broadly, we'll also be monitoring security developments in Morocco, Syria and Tunisia, in particular looking for indications of any IS resurgence in Syria, as well as moves to target civilian locations in Morocco and Tunisia, which would represent a notable development in regional capabilities and a deterioration in the ability of local security forces to effectively disrupt militant cells. Thank you very much. It will definitely be a busy period on the desk in these coming weeks. Rhiannon, we've looked at countries specifically, but what sort of impact do you see this period having on regional relations and tensions, particularly as we've seen um, some very interesting developments over the past weeks? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so, you know, tensions in recent developments have definitely occurred at a pivotal moment, both regionally and globally. It's worth noting that the recent attacks in Israel took place amidst the backdrop of the Negev summit on the 28th of March where we saw foreign ministers from the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco and Egypt meet with their Israeli counterpart, Yair Lapid, 
And this kind of consolidates the normalization of ties beyond the uh, Abraham Accords of 2020 on one hand. But then parallel to that, we've actually seen a repeated rejection from Jordan's King Abdullah to, to attend this summit and play into this kind of warming of ties between Arab leaders and Israel. Instead, it's worth noting and significant that he met with the Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas on the 29th of March, only 24 hours later, to discuss kind of possible diplomatic ways of preventing this kind of renewed intercommunal violence. And so we saw kind of two meetings quite significantly playing out within 24 hours of each other in parallel. Since then, Abdullah has actually come out and advised Israeli Defense Minister Betty Gantz that Israel should avoid provoking Muslims in Jerusalem during the Ramadan holiday. And so this narrative really points towards Jordan's continued support for the Palestinian question and kind of this unilateral support there. It's worth noting that, you know, any serious escalation in violence in the next couple of weeks, it wouldn't prompt Jordan to take a more active role. It's not in their strategic interest, even though they kind of have an interest in, in protecting many Muslim landmarks in the Palestinian territories. But we've got to remember this kind of 1994 peace treaty with Israel as kind of sufficient protection of, of the landmarks. And then if we swivel across towards the, the Gulf and looking at any kind of backtracking, which is, of course, a possibility of the Houthi ceasefire in the next couple of days, and actually the failure of the Saudi-led coalition to, to reason with the Houthi leadership, this will definitely kind of continue this trajectory of the, of the conflict going into the inflammatory phase. And what this will also do, of course, as it has over the last couple of weeks, is bring any issues between kind of U.S. gradual disengagement from the region and, and Saudi's issues with the lack of U.S. support to, to the forefront of their foreign policy. Furthermore, any escalation in cross-border attacks, which is definitely a viable possibility, um, will then intensify this criticism from the kingdom regarding the U.S. foreign policy within the region. And this will be exacerbated by you know, OPEC plus demands from the U.S. and global oil markets and, and production concerns um, and we'll see this balancing the continued balancing of diplomatic relations and, and strategic interests between the kingdom us and, and former future gulf relations and then finally in the same breath an intensification of any aerial threat from the houthis will also bring to the forefront issues and concerns regarding iran's involvement as well and this opens up an entirely new pandora's box again related to kind of issues concerning russia's demands regarding the, the nuclear deal regional tensions and again the balancing as i previously mentioned the us will be keen to kind of balance saudi israeli wishes and grievances whilst also maintaining enough leverage with the with iran to, to renew this joint comprehensive plan of action the nuclear deal with iran Yes, definitely. A very interesting time for uh, nuclear negotiations and developments this month, as you were saying, are going to be pivotal in many ways, particularly at a time in which it seems Iran is finally opening up on some fronts, which make the, the possibility of a deal more likely. But clearly that would trigger a number of effects regionally um, that are definitely worth looking into. Thank you very much for that. Anastasia, we've talked a lot about in-country dynamics and regional ones, but what are the implications for businesses and staff based in the region um, in the coming month? So as Rihanna mentioned earlier, the regional easing of COVID-19 restrictions means that this year's Ramadan will look relatively more similar to pre-pandemic times. So if appropriate, businesses should prepare for observing shorter working hours while firms operating in the retail and the hospitality space can expect elevated levels of demand during the evenings. Staff in the region as a whole should maintain awareness of local regulations, protocols and customs. So, for example, this includes not eating, drinking or smoking in public places during daylight hours, including while on private and public transport in Muslim majority countries. 
As further examples, expatriates should adhere to local conservative dress norms if appropriate and avoid drinking alcohol in public. While on a more general note for businesses and personnel operating across the region, there will probably be more congestion on overland transport routes and roads just after dusk and ahead of dawn. Consequently, road accidents are more frequently reported in countries such as the UAE and Qatar during Ramadan, with most taking place during the adjusted morning rush hour of between 9 to 10 a.m. local time. So businesses and staff should look to more carefully plan both travel routes and timings to mitigate the likelihood of delays. Now, in terms of security, government forces across the region will reinforce their positions at civilian locations, notably religious sites and in flashpoint areas. This will particularly be the case due to the return of uh, larger crowds this year. So in Israel, security forces have already begun erecting barriers along key highways and have stepped up their presence in crowded civilian spaces, including some shopping centers. More stringent border point checkpoints could generate some minor delays to overland transport, while ethno-religious tensions in mixed Arab-Israeli neighborhoods, West Bank cities, and sites across East Jerusalem will heighten the risk of attacks and domestic arrest in these areas, heightening bystander risk to personnel, particularly in the event of violent escalations or clashes between protesters and security forces. In Saudi Arabia, the impact of any further potential Houthi attacks will be mitigated by its US-provided missile defense systems, However, companies operating in or with critical infrastructure sectors will face a sustained risk of attacks in the coming weeks, um, with any successful strikes likely to present some short-term operational disruptions and elevating staff bystander risks. Well, thank you both very much. Let's see how things develop in the coming weeks. It'll be definitely interesting to see how these these trends, both within countries and uh, in terms of regional relations, will develop particularly with regards to the security environment in Israel and across the Palestinian territories. I look forward to discussing this topic in future. And now a look at the events coming up this week. I'd like to welcome our Sub-Saharan Africa Associate Analyst, E.D. Lipton. The first event to highlight is the ongoing no confidence motion in Pakistan, which is likely to be put to vote on the 3rd of April. There is an elevated threat to government stability with the Prime Minister Imran Khan's most significant ally claiming to support the opposition and vote against him. As National Assembly deliberations continue, the risk of domestic unrest will remain elevated across the country. The second event to highlight is Extinction Rebellion beginning its latest campaign in the UK, with activists rallying in Hyde Park in London on the 9th of April, causing disruption to local transportation in the city. The group also plans to blockade oil refineries across the UK on the 8th of April. Transport links around oil refineries are therefore likely to experience disruptions throughout the day and financial and energy firms will be at higher risk of online and physical environmentalist activism. And finally, the runoff presidential election will be held in Costa Rica on the 4th of April, with recent polls suggesting that former finance minister Rodrigo Chavez is leading. The Chavez presidency will likely undermine the country's ongoing negotiations with the IMF, with Chavez already highlighting that he intends to renegotiate elements of the agreement before the remaining fiscal reforms pass through Congress. Thank you very much for listening. And if you wish to contact us, you can find us at info at sibylline.co.uk.